Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to be here this morning again and share the presence of the Lord with you. Also share the Word of God with you. I'm impressed with your premises. Oh, my word. What potential is sitting here? That's great stuff. I'm also impressed with your lion. I think like, whoa, you know, a little scary and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, now it comes to my turn. My name is actually Old MacDonald and I have a farm. (laughs) Now listen, show some respect. These are Harley Davidson stuff over there, you know, you've got to be the right age and, you know, have a white beard and you've got to have a right bull to be able to have Harley Davidson. Uh, my youngest daughter is the marketing manager for Harley Davidson in Tigerberg, Tiger Valley and Durban, so uh, that's hence I've got this. I'm just going to get the bike and I'm done, okay? I was a biker for many years, by the way, and uh, I finally... Uh, had to say, okay, I felt the Lord saying to me, that's enough. You know, you need to do other things. Praise God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just, I count it a privilege always to come and share the word wherever I'm invited to do so. And uh, because you know what? All of us have experiences. And your experience can be valuable to somebody else. Because things you've struggled with and overcome, there's still others that are still struggling with it. Do you know that none of us have unique problems, that I've got a problem that nobody else in the entire world has? The devil would like to tell you that, but it's not so. So there are principles that work together. So I want to speak this morning about the subject of influence. Okay, influence. Now, (laughs) life is about influence. Isn't that so? You know, there's good influences and bad influences out there. And all of us are constantly influencing or being influenced by somebody or something. Isn't that so? That's every day of your life. You're you're influencing certain things by who you are, and you're being influenced by the environment you're moving in. Now, the question is, what kind of influence am I? That's what I've got to ask myself, the question. You've got to ask yourself, what kind of influence am I? Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, he says this. He says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. How many times? Always. Okay. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Wow. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Okay, so what he's saying is that through us, God diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every, every place. In other words, he uses us to influence places for him. And this is what we need to understand. Now, as a Christian, our influence should be like an exotic perfume that dominates the atmosphere around about us. That is what we are called to be, people like that. Now, you know... My wife is a, you know, perfume is part of her love language and so on and so forth. And <laughs> she had a birthday on Mother's Day, Nochal. <laughs> so I had a double whammy there. Poof. Anyway, so uh, she wanted some perfume and we talked about it. And she said, but this perfume is very expensive. And I said to her, listen, go for it. Um, you know, I like to consult her before I buy something. Some people go, oh, but that isn't a surprise. Well, I found in my life journey a lot of... Uh, gifts were more of a shock than a surprise. But <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> so I, I'd rather be, be consulted. <laughs> and so with my wife, we said, okay, buy this perfume. It's quite expensive, but it's a nice perfume. But you know what? We all carry that kind of, carry a fragrance around with us. And, and you know, God wants us to be able to uh, make a difference out there. Now, um, Just like there are people that are allergic to certain perfumes, so there are people that are allergic to the fragrance of Christ. Okay, they don't like it because it's a challenge. And we need to understand that and say, okay, 
um, you know, that if I'm going to be an ambassador for Jesus, there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to like me. If you're like, oh, you know, they don't like me. Jesus said they hated me before they hated you, man. You want to follow me, they're going to hate you. There are people that are not going to like you. And you've got to learn to endure that and learn not to take it personally. You know why they don't like you? Because there's something in you that they, that, 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 that they are conflicted with. It's not you personally. It's what you carry that is actually challenging them. So we need to say, okay, Lord, help us to just understand this and to continue to do what God's calling us to do. Now, um, from the scripture or in scripture, we see uh, this whole picture. Most of the Pharisees hated the fragrance that Jesus was giving off. Because why was that? Because it clashed with the fragrance they were giving off. And their fragrance was the fragrance of religion. It was the fragrance of control. It was the fragrance of pride and of self-importance and of jealousy and of envy and even of hatred. That was the fragrance they're giving off. Here comes somebody and he's now giving off a totally different fragrance. And so they're saying, okay, we don't like this guy. Now, you know, before we were saved, we didn't have Christ in us. So we were not able to release his fragrance. There was a time we were like that, okay? So thus we were caught up in the turmoil of life and the pretense of the world and, you know, trying to live up to other people's expectations and da-da-da-da-da-da and, and, and so on, you know? But thank God for sending Jesus into the sin-sick world. And there was a time in your life when you first picked up the aroma of Jesus. Can you remember a time like that? You weren't saved, you were part of... But then you smelled something different. And that something drew you. You wanted to investigate. Now, a lot of people turn around and they run because there's a con conflict in them about it. But if you've been born again somewhere along the line, that fragrance drew you. And it brought you to a place where you made a decision and you came to the point of saying, I want that. I want that. Now, that is a wonderful thing. Because God, in His grace and in His mercy, uh, just comes and He sometimes just takes a little bottle of perfume and He goes, under your nose. And He says, what do you think? What do you think? Now, this is, this is great. You see, so, <laughs> so there was a time in your life when you first picked up that aroma. Okay, so you smelled something different and you were drawn to it. And uh, it called a response from you. Now, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So what he's saying is if you taste of the Lord, then there are certain things you're not going to want to do anymore. And there are other things you're going to want to do now because you've tasted something. It's not just something people told you. Now, I love to hear a good testimony. You know what I'm saying? But I want to tell you, it's better to have your own testimony than just to listen to other people's testimonies only. Now, you know, people's testimonies have encouraged me <laughs> by a great means, but I've got to have my own testimony. And you know what? Your testimony is the amount of change that has taken place in you since you've become a Christian. If there's been no change, you have no testimony. Then you've got to talk about other people's experience. So we need to come to the place where we understand this. You see, the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. What does that mean? All things are passed away. All things become new. Now, you know, and I love what our sister said over there, you know, that Christianity isn't a bunch of rules. I've got to do that, and I'm not allowed to do that, and I've got to do that, and I'm not allowed to do that. Well, God's going to be mad at me. I'm so glad God's not temperamental. And I'm glad he's very patient. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and that's probably why you're here, because God is very patient. But you know something? That doesn't mean that we're absolved from dealing with things in our lives. There are things we have to deal with. Because God has got a calling and a purpose for us to fulfill, and he wants you to be under an anointing of the Holy Spirit so that you can go and fulfill these purposes. But if there are unresolved issues, they are going to hinder you. It's not God that's mad at you. It's that stuff in you is blocking certain uh, 
accolades of releasing what God has, has put inside of you. So he's saying, deal with that. Because I want you to be more effective. Now, are there any, is there anybody here that feels you're doing the maximum that is possible to do for the Lord? You notice my hand isn't up either. Because, they, yeah. <laughs> because there's more. There's more. And that's why we must never be satisfied. We must always be grateful, but never satisfied. Because the moment you're satisfied, you want to stay where you are. Because I've arrived. Oh, please, Lord, help us. Uh, you know, okay. Let me not get sidetracked on that. So, yet it is. So, once you have really tasted and smelled the fragrance of Christ, you will want to dump everything that clashes with it. That's what I, what, what, what I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you. So you will find that vulgar language jars you when you've really had a born-again experience. Oh, okay, I'm glad I'm in the same place here. Okay? Gossip disturbs your spirit if you're in Christ, okay? And blasphemy, blasphemy really upsets you. I find since we're in Christ, you know, if I see a film, you know, watching something, and there's four-letter words, I switch it off. Because it disturbs me. I don't want that person to speak that into my house. Because I don't belong to the kingdom that talks like that. I belong to another kingdom. Now, I'm not condemning you if you're battling with bad language and so on. But I want to tell you that is a challenge. Because if you want to be more effective with God, you've got to deal with that. Using the Lord's name in vain. You've got to deal with that. Because it's hindering you from being fully who God wants you to be. Now, because you let rip of a bad word doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. <laughs> Please. You know, as I said, God's not temperamental. But God is saying, hey, man, that is an area that you need to surrender. Because I always like what the Apostle John said. He must increase and I must decrease. That is what maturity is about. More of him, less of me. More of him, less of me. And when there's more of him and less of me, I become more effective in being who he wants me to be. And so he says, okay, let's go for it. Now I'm thinking, okay, Lord, this is cool. Now, <laughs> what I'm talking about here is called sanctification. It's a word that you don't often hear preached anymore. Sanctification is a process that will go as far as you allow it in your life. Because you draw the lines. To say, that's far no further. So now, <laughs> you know, sometimes we've drawn a line and then one day you're sitting somewhere and maybe it's through a sermon you're hearing or something you're listening to or whatever, or it's just you having a quiet time with the Lord and suddenly the Lord says, <coughs> it's about time we deal with this line. You're now in a new phase. Did you know when you get saved, the Lord doesn't just unroll a scroll and say, I want to tell you everything that's wrong in your life that needs to be dealt with. You'll take one look and turn it on and say, forget it. <laughs> I'll never get there. So he deals systematically with you in your life. But you know, the moment you stop letting God deal with you, you stop growing. And God wants you to never stop growing for the rest of your life. I've been in, in full-time ministry for 47 years, okay? And I want to tell you, people say, well, you know, you must know a lot and so on and so forth. The more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. Because there are depths to God that in our lifetime we'll never even, even fathom them. You know what I'm saying? And that's why Christianity should never become boring. You know, if people get a new hobby, oh, I'm going to go scuba diving now, and they buy all the diving equipment, and, you know, for the next few seasons they dive, and then it stands in the garage. Now I've got a Holly Davidson, and I'm going to ride this Holly Davidson all over the place. And after it, it wears off. You know, whatever stimulus the world gives, it wears off. It's called the law of diminished return. That's what drug addiction is about. First, so much drug will stimulate you, but afterwards it won't stimulate you. You're going to have so much drug. And then afterwards you're going to have so much drug until your life is in an absolute mess and it's destroyed. It's the law of diminished return. But you know, the things of God, you never get to the end of it. You never get bored if you're going to keep pursuing God because there's always something new you can learn about God. Wow. And that's great, even on familiar subjects. I, I think that's what I like about the Word of God. 
I mean, anything I preach here from the Bible, how many thousands of people have preached from that very verse of Scripture? And none of those sermons are the same. Whoa! <laughs> because God will apply His Word to your situation where you are right now. And you'll get something completely different from that verse that you had before. Because God knows you and He knows exactly what you need. So this, you know, it excites me when I think about these things because like, whoa, you know, <laughs> who wants to stop? So, so as I said, uh, this process of sanctification will go as far, far as you want it to go. And the result is called holiness. You sang about it this morning. You are holy. Did you know the Bible says without holiness, no one will see God? Not pretending to be holy. <laughs> Being holy, allowing God to change something inside of you. You know, if your Christianity is a pretense, what a laborious Christianity that is. And there are a lot of people that live like that, pretending. But you see, if you really get connected to God, you don't have to pretend. It will be a reality. And then you will have authority in that area of your life. Because it's not copying somebody else. It's being who God has called you to be, has created you to be. Okay. Now, holiness is a prerequisite uh, for serving God. And you cannot dispense pure things out of a contaminated vessel. And I've uh, said this many times to, for, before to people. You know, if you say, wow, I'm thirsty. Can I have some water? And a person goes there and says, yeah, yeah, we got this bottled water we bought over there. And they take a glass that has got dust inside of it, a few hohos lying in the bottom of it, got some marks on the side, rings around it where other stuff has been, and they take that wonderful water from the bottle, pour it into this glass and give it to you. You're going to look at it and say, I'm suddenly not thirsty anymore. Because the vessel would have contaminated the water no matter how pure the water is. Now we are the vessels that God wants to pour through you, stuff, that is going to be edifying. It's going to be a blessing to people. And so he says that vessel has got to be cleaned out. And that's why I believe it's necessary every day to come before the Lord. And to say, Lord, I just, I, again, affirm my faith. I do that every morning. I affirm my faith in the precious blood of Jesus. That was shed for the sins of the world. And I ask if there's any uncleanness in me. Cleanse me, but reveal it to me. Because sometimes, you know, we say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And we don't even know what we're doing. And say, Lord, show me if there's anything I need to change. I tend to, depending on the kind of teaching I have, I tend to not make an appeal for people to come forward for prayer. Because, you know, if there's a decision you can make, you have to make. I can't pray it right for you. You need to make that decision. And if you make it, you'll have the benefit. And you know what? You can make decisions without being in a church service. With the Lord in the morning, God speaks to you and you make a decision. And I want to tell you, it's going to change you from that moment onwards. Wow. You're going to have a greater reality of the presence of God. And, and God's going to be able to use you in, in a greater way. And I'm looking to the Lord for really coming to a place of signs and wonders like we haven't seen before. So, Ephesians 4 uh, and verse 17 onwards. And I'm going to just... I want to read more of it than I've got on my notes here. Uh, Ephesians. Ephesians. Here we come. Four. Okay, and he says in verse 17 onwards, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. That is the big problem, is your sin comes between you and God. I've often said God doesn't condemn any of us. It's your sin that condemns you. And Jesus made a way for you to get rid of that sin, to repent, to be cleansed of that sin. So why should we live all our life in condemnation? When we know, God says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. When we have communion, we'll say to people, you know, God says, examine yourself, lest you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And I say to people now, if you, does that mean if you sin, you're not allowed to partake of communion? You see, if you haven't sinned, you don't need communion. <laughs> communion isn't for the righteous. 
for the sinless people. Communion is there. Just God saying to you, I want you to do this and remember. Remember that my body was broken for you. Remember that my blood was shed for you. Now come and partake of that broken body. My body was broken so that yours can be made whole. I became sin so that you can become righteousness. So I'm saying that's what the table is there. It's to challenge it. But when you come to, to the table and you say, there's some things in my life that's not right, and I'm not prepared to do anything about it. What are you really saying? Jesus, you died for nothing. I'm not changing. Then he says, don't partake of the bread and wine because you'll bring judgment on yourself. You see, it's just people who reject what Jesus has done. I, I've often said this. People don't go to hell because they haven't received Christ. They go to hell because they've rejected Christ. That's the thing. He said, light has come into the world, John 3. Light has come into the world, but men chose darkness rather than light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. So people have said to me, if God's a God of love, how can he send people to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. Since Jesus died, hell is optional. Nobody has to go there. Nobody has to go there. And if people go there, it's because they've chosen to go there, because they've rejected the salvation of God that is there to prevent you from going there. Okay. Let's go on. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness and work to work all uncleanness with greediness. He said their lifestyle is showing that they've not had an encounter with Jesus. Listen, if a person has an encounter with Jesus and they still lie and they still swear and they still teach and they still sleep around with un uh, people they're not married to and they still do all these things, I, I question their salvation. And I'm not talking about perfection yet. None of us are perfect. But you know, blatant stuff like that and you think, what has changed? Jesus, you know what the word Jesus means? Savior. You know why God said... He, to Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he will save the, his people from their sin. Oh, so that's why he came, to release me from that stuff. And it's a progressive work. Sanctification doesn't happen in a moment. Justification happens in a moment. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior, you are clothed with his righteousness. You are justified in the sight of God. What does justified mean? Justified never sinned. But sanctification is a process of the renewing of your mind, which I'm going to show you in a moment. Okay, so, he says, but you have not so learned Christ to just walk in these things, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So he says, you have not learned this from Christ. You know, you need to be sure that you taught of him. He says, and then he says, that you put off. Concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. He says, there's stuff you've got to put off. Not you've got to ask God to deliver you from. You've got to, put, you've got to make a decision about that. You've got to put it off. Because he says, if you don't, the corruption will grow. Do you know that nobody stands still? You're either moving forward in sanctification or you're moving backwards. In Revelation at the end there, after God has told us the whole Bible and everything, he says, now, him that is filthy, let him be more filthy. And him that is holy, let him be more holy. He says, now you make a choice. I've shown you the way. I've shown you that there's an alternative way to live. But you need to make a decision. And if you choose not to accept this, you will not stay where you are. You'll get worse and worse and worse. But if you uh, respond to this, you'll not stay where you are. You're going to grow in the things of God. And you're going to get more and more victory in your life. Wow. How much victory have you experienced in your life? Enough to make you excited about the Lord? Enough to prove to you that He's a reality? And that He's a very present help, especially in time of need? Have you got that conviction in your heart? Okay, And that conviction comes because of what you've experienced with the Lord. What is it? Old Leonard Ravenhill, long gone to be with the Lord. But he said something few things that I've never forgotten. One of them is, he says, he that hath an experience is not at the mercy of him that has an argument. And so I say to people, you know, when you deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, people are afraid of, I've got my church, no, 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 I believe in the Lord and don't want to talk to you. Hey, they're souls for whom Jesus died. But you know what, if you're going to argue with them about the Trinity, you're going to 
10 blue in the face, man, and you're going to get anywhere. So when a Jehovah's Witness comes to me like this and they want to give me this thought, I said, just before you say, can I just ask you a question? Yeah, sure. I said, have you ever prayed for a sick person to be healed that was healed? No, they don't believe in it. Have you ever cast a demon out of somebody that had a demonic problem? No, whatever. I said, you know what? Your God doesn't save, he doesn't heal, he doesn't deliver. My God saves, he heals and delivers. Why would I want to serve your God? He's powerless. They have a relationship with a doctrine. We need to have a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Praise God. So, you see, it's about experience. So I say to people, don't argue with them doctrine. Give them your testimony. They can argue with your doctrine, but they cannot argue with your experience. So you just need an experience to know that this is, is what I'm, what I'm going to talk about. Okay, so he says, um, so put off concerning your former nature. And then he says, the next step, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created by God, at, at, according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So it says, put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. Here's a process. And that being renewed, the Bible says we are renewed through the word of God. That's how your mind gets renewed. Learning about what God says and then putting it into practice. Don't just stay, yeah, I know God says that, but... We need to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Because then you're going to change. But if you're not a doer, you can have all the knowledge in the world and move nowhere. Some years ago at the Baptist Theater, there was a guy who recited the Gospel of Mark, Old King James, out of his head. And that was the whole thing about this. He just changed his voice when it's different people speaking. But, uh, and we, you know, people who went there all over Christian, you know, we took our Bible with him. You follow him. Not one word wrong. Memorized the entire Gospel of Mark. When he was interviewed by the press, he says, no, he's not particularly religious, but he thinks it's very poetic. See, he's not even a Christian. And he can cite the Gospel of Mark out of his head. The biggest anti-Christian, the devil, knows the Bible far better than any of us. But you see, as I've often said, a, a Christian is not just merely somebody who believes in Jesus. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. If somebody who believes in Jesus is a Christian, then the devil's a Christian. He believes in Jesus, but he's not a follower. But you see, a follower means that I'm moving in a direction. Okay? If I'm standing still, I'm not following anybody. So I want to be a follower of Jesus. You want to be a follower of Jesus? Say, so, okay, Lord, what's the next step? <laughs> Where do you want me to go from here? What is the next experience you want to take me into? Where can I make a difference for you? Praise God, man. Yo, okay. Uh, we can get excited about this, I tell you. Okay, so. <laughs> so uh, where am I? Okay, so he says there, therefore, putting away, uh, away lying let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, when you're Christian, lying has got to go. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, the devil is the father of all lies. White lies, black lies, green lies, pink lies, whatever color you want to put on them, a lie is a lie. So next time the devil tempts you to tell a lie, you just need to weaken him and say, how's it, Dad? He's the father of all lies. Why would I want to do something that's going to serve him? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. Okay, so we need to understand. You know, it bugs me. And just, you know, I, I once had a, had a pastor coming to me in the area. He'd been there for about two years and he was applying for passport or something, and, and he needed uh, an affidavit from a, somebody like a, 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 a minister of religion, <laughs> and uh, so on and so forth, which I don't qualify as that, but uh, I'm a pastor. Okay, so, so he says to me, okay, can, can you verify that you know me and whatever? And it says that you must have known this person at least 
two years. Sorry, I'd, I'd only known him for about a year. You must know this person for at least two years. I said, it says you must know I must know you for at least two years. I can't say that. He said, well, just that's what they want, so just say that. I said, but that won't be the truth. You want me to lie? For you to get that? I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to do that. Now, sometimes telling the truth can be pretty awkward and pretty painful. But you know what? Afterwards, there is fruit that comes from it that is good. Lying is often an easy way out of the present situation. But I want to tell you it opens the door. You'll have to lie to keep that lie covered. And then you'll have to lie again to keep that lie covered. And before you know it, you're far away from the truth. Which means you're far away from Jesus. Okay. Therefore, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor and so on and so on. He says, be angry and do not sin. Isn't that cool? Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So the Bible doesn't tell you that it's sinful to get angry. He says you can get angry and not sin. What does that mean? Do you know that God gets angry? He says he's angry at the wicked every day, you know, because what they're doing to themselves. He's saying, I died to get you into my kingdom and you're refusing to come. You're messing up your life. But it says in the place that don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't let it lie over till the next day because it will breathe something in your life. Because anger will go to bitterness, will go to resentment, will go to all sorts of things. And eventually, the, uh, how many point seven, seventh point in the progression is murder. So... This is the thing. So it says, when you get angry, deal with a thing so that by the time you go to sleep, you've resolved it. You've forgiven whoever you need to forgive. You've asked for forgiveness for um, whoever you need to ask forgiveness, and you're at peace in your heart when you go to bed. That's a very cool thing. Because then if you die in the night, you don't have to worry. <laughs> Okay, so he says, <coughs> don't give place to the devil. So when you've got unforgiveness or resentment, you're giving place to the devil. Don't forget the devil can't operate unless he has a legal right to do so. Whether it's in your life, in your family, in your church, in your community, whatever, the devil can only operate if he's got a legal right. And repentance is the wonderful thing that eliminates his legal right. And then you have authority to evict him. But you cannot evict him from his own territory. One lady once came for prayer for some, and she had arthritis quite badly, and, you know, and, and whatever. And the guy that was ministering there, he had quite a bit of deliverance ministry experience and whatever. And he knows that often, not always, but often arthritis is associated with a demonic thing. There's a demon often, uh, you know, involved in this. And so he, so she came for prayer, and he says to this spirit of arthritis, I command you in Jesus' name to come out. And the thing looks at him and says, I won't. He says, in Jesus' name, I command you. I won't. So he says, okay, back away. So he speaks to this woman. He says to her, is there anybody you haven't forgiven that you're holding something against? Mm. <laughs> he says, the devil's got a legal right to stand there. That's why he won't go. You need to forgive that person and release them. So she hummed and hard and hummed and hard and eventually said, okay, I choose to forgive this person. And da -da -da -da. He says, demon of arthritis, come out. And it came out. Demon went out and she was healed. But you see, if he's got a legal right, you can't evict him. No matter how much you pray and fast and do all sorts of things. You see, repentance has its unique job to fulfill. And nothing else can fulfill what repentance is meant to fulfill. There's other things you do with, with other things. And so, are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Is So often people sit and say, I can't understand why I'm not growing in the Lord. And, you know, why I'm not being able to have greater, um, you know, success in praying for people. And, da -da 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 -da. and we think, okay, Benny Hinn's coming into town. Benny Hinn, lay hands on me. Man, I want to have this anointing. And I go out there and I'm still not working. 
And Joyce Meyer comes to tell lay hands on me. Ooh, good. Because you see, if it's something you've got to put right, Joyce Meyer can't put it right for you, and Benny Hinn can't put it right for you, and T.D. Jakes can't put it right, or whoever, you know, you, you fancy listening to. There's stuff they can't do for you. You've got to do it yourself. When it comes to humility, did you know that sometimes people say, uh, you know, Lord, we just ask you to humble us. Did you know that God can't humble you? God can't humble you. He can humiliate you, but he can't humble you. Because humbling, God says, humble yourself in the sight of Almighty God. You've got to humble yourself. Because it's a decision about you that not even God can do for you. You've got to do it. So what am I saying, what am I talking about this morning? And <laughs> the Lord gave me this word to preach here. So, you know, here it goes. So I'm just preaching it. But because the Lord wants to increase your influence for the kingdom of God. And do you know, if you walk into a shop, it changes the atmosphere in that shop. If you walk into your work situation, it changes the atmosphere there. Do you know for you guys coming here, it's changing the atmosphere in this community. Because you're carrying a fragrance of Christ into the situation. So when you visit somebody, it should change the atmosphere. How many of you have ever visited somebody, man, you walk into their house and they, as a pastor, you know, you visit Hello, Pastor. It's so nice to have you come inside. Man. And you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. <laughs> and you know there's been war here before I arrived. <laughs> it affects the atmosphere. So we need to watch it. Have you noticed how the enemy tries to upset you before church on Sundays? If it's not with the children... <laughs> you don't have children, don't relax, then it'll be with the traffic. <laughs> or it'll be with something. So that you come in, you, whatever. Because it affects the atmosphere. The atmosphere in this room now is as charged as what each one of us have brought into this room. Now, you know, there was one place Jesus couldn't do mighty works because of their unbelief. Do you know that the atmosphere stops God from doing certain things. And it doesn't say Jesus couldn't do mighty works because he didn't have the power to. But he had established his, in his word, by faith, you will have this. And so when they had unbelief, it stopped him then. So God said, so Jesus, I'm going to help you here. You're going to get rid of the unbelief. Okay. Ah, where am I? This is cool stuff, man. I, I like the word of God, although it's uncomfortable. What did all? Rick Warren say, the truth will set you free, but first it may make you miserable. <laughs> sometimes the truth isn't pleasant. Okay. So we, we, where are we? Let me just see. Um. <laughs> where am I? Uh, renew the spirit of your mind. And so I just want to give you the end of that. Don't give place to the devil. Then he says in verse 28 there onwards, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who needs. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary, necessary edification, that is that it may impart grace to the hearers. Hmm. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Man, the moment you forgive somebody, it changes the atmosphere. God can now work in that situation. But if you've got bitterness in your heart, God can't even work in you while that bitterness is sitting there. So he's saying, okay, Lord, please help us in, in all these things. My last scripture there is so let me just my computer is going in for deliverance. 
because it surely <laughs> has got some stuff wrong with it. Okay, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 11 on to 17. He says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Some people come in to a service and there's a good Afrikaans word, they look wilted, like flowers that haven't had water for a while. They come into the service. Now, if there are unsafe people coming in like that, or if people struggle, listen, all of us struggle sometimes with certain issues, and that's why the Bible says encourage one another. But if the whole church comes in like that every Sunday, I'm saying yes, there's something wrong here. <laughs> because you're carrying a negative atmosphere there. But you need to come like that discouraged into a place and feel, hey, something's stirring me up here. Something's lifting me. Something's causing me to say, get your chin up there and, and walk like a prince or a princess, man. Don't walk like a slave, as our sister was saying there. A slave has no inheritance. A slave deals with other people's stuff. But the Bible says you're called to be an heir, not a slave. To inherit stuff. Praise God. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, th this, this sounds cool. Right. And so he, you know, he goes on there and he says... Um, now, no chastisement seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it heals the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained thereby. Now, who knows what chastisement means? Uh, anyway, we're in the modern age. You know. <laughs> in one Jewish magazine many years ago, many years ago, it says that if you must teach your child, use a string. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> now I don't even want to get into um, that kind of stuff, excepting that I, I had a fair share of chastisement in my life from my parents as well as from the school and so on and so forth, which if it was in today, those people would all face legal action. And that's why I'm normal even after all that kind of stuff. Come on, guys. When I think of the army in my days, oh my goodness me, some of those officers would have faced legal action if it happened today. But, you know, chastisement can take many forms. But discipline is something that every person needs. And a child also needs to learn that there's consequences to your actions. And if you don't teach him as a child, he will continue to be lawless until eventually he gets into jail. And people say, oh, I don't know what happened you know, to my child. Okay. No chastisement seems to be pleasant. But he says afterwards it yields fruit unto righteousness. So, you know, and parents used to say, I don't hit you because I don't love you. It's because I love you that I'm giving you a hiding. I think, like, when you this big, you think, like, that's a weird way of showing it, you know. But you realize it's necessary. It's necessary for discipline. Of some sort. Okay, so. Okay, I'm finishing. I'm finishing. So he says, we've got to strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So God says, I rather want a, a part of the body. And don't forget the church is the body of Christ. If that arm isn't working, I rather want that arm healed than to have it amputated. That's God's heart. He is the God of restoration. He's the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. You know, that's the God we serve. But you see, if you're not going to respond to him, then you're limiting what he can do in and through your life. So we need to say, okay, Lord, help me to hear what the Spirit is saying to me through all this. Okay, and he says, therefore, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Okay. While looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. Oh, I thought the grace of God covers everything. No, 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 no. You can walk out under the grace. 
fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards he wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. So, you know, I believe that there is a time, there is a season that God gives us. Because there is a purpose God wants you to fulfill. I remember a prophecy many years ago. And as I've said before when I preach here, I've heard thousands of prophecies over my life. And most of them I've forgotten. But there are certain ones that will stick with you. And God said, I, I remember God gave a vision of a potter sitting there with a wheel. And he took a lump of clay and put it on there. And the wheel started turning and he started molding, molding, molding. And next thing the clay hopped off. So he waited and waited. The clay came back all messed up again. He came back in the wheel. Started molding, molding. The clay hops off, goes off there. And God says, if that goes on beyond a certain point, the purpose of that vessel is no longer there. And there is no point in remaking it. People, when I die, I can't then say, okay, Lord, I still wanted to forgive so-and-so when I stand before the Lord. I, I was meaning to forgive them. You know, I just didn't quite have the time. I was so busy, you know, and things like this. No, I must forgive here. Because there comes a time when it's too late to want to do, deal with that. Let's deal with it now. God says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because who knows what God wants you to accomplish tomorrow. And he's saying to you, I want you to do something in this service. Because it's going to influence how you're going to accomplish tomorrow what I've got in line for you. Don't you, get, don't you get a little bit inquisitive, a bit curious about what has God actually got for me? Hey? I trust God is going to stir that up in you. Because you know what? Every day God's got something he wants you to do. And you need to be able to say, okay, I'm tuning into that. So there he says, uh, he doesn't want you to be dislocated, he wants to be healed. Now, in closing, you know, um, about two months ago, my wife and I were in England and we spoke at a conference the one weekend and then traveled and ministered to churches at, that we relate to. But um, at the conference, I was speaking about possessing your inheritance. And, uh, you know, I was toying whether I should speak to, about some of that this morning, but I felt this is what the Lord wanted me to say. But something similar to what our sister says about, you know, the slaves, you know, um, when God brought Israel out of Egypt... He said, okay, you've been slaves for 430 years. You don't know nothing about ruling. And in the promised land, you're going to have to be the head and not the tail. You're going to have to be above and not beneath me. <laughs> so there's a lot of work we've got to do here. Now, if they just responded to God instantly, 11 days later, they would have been in the promised land. But, you know, they're coming on and they said, oh, we're going to die of thirst in the wilderness. Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? And then, what are we going to eat in the wilderness? You know, and then, who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than us? To, you know. Oh, yes, that reminds me of church. Anyway. <laughs> Not this church, of course. <laughs> but you know what? That entire generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness because they would not let go of the slave mentality. They came out, but they didn't go in. Now, you don't want to come out by salvation, by the Passover lamb, but not go into your inheritance. But there are th two things I, I just mentioned here, which I'll just in closing mention to you. I said, if you want to possess your inheritance, the two things you've got to remember. The first thing is you've got to come out of Egypt. You can't stay in Egypt and have your inheritance. That's your old life. You've got to come out. And we've talked about that now, about repentance. Da, 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 da. And the second thing, you must remember that the promised land is occupied. You're not just going to walk in, pitch your tent, and live happily forever after. Have you noticed that Christianity isn't like that? There are seven nations more powerful than you. God says, but I will give them into your hand, and I want you to drive them out. I don't want you to make any agreement with them. You make no pact with them. You destroy them utterly, or else they will contaminate you with their false gods. The first one is the Hittite. Now, do you know every one of those, you know, that the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the 
Hivites uh, and the electric lights and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Amazing grace. Okay. And, uh, and so on and so forth. Now, each one of those represents a stronghold in your inheritance that you need to overcome. And uh, I thought I'll deal with those seven for them. I only got to the first one. <laughs> the Hittite spirit. I don't, don't want to go into it now, but I'll just give you a little insight. That is the spirit of anger. And I want to tell you, if ever there was a generation that's battling with the Hittite spirit, it's this generation. People are angry at all sorts of things. But you know what? Your anger can rob you of your inheritance. Moses was the meekest man on earth in certain ways. But you know what? He had a Hittite spirit influencing him. In Egypt, they saw an Israelite and a, an Egyptian beating Israelite. And he climbs in and loses it. And he kills the Egyptian. So now he's got to flee out of Egypt. Gone is the luxury life. For 40 years, he's in the wilderness feeding his father-in-law's flocks. And then God calls him. Hittite spirit can rob you of stuff. But then he comes to the point where Israelites are saying, we're dying of thirst and whatever. Moses goes to God. God says to him, I want you to take your brother Aaron with you. Stand on this rock and speak to this rock. And water is going to come out and they're going to go. So he gets on that rock and the Hittite spirit takes over. He says, you rebels, do you want us to bring water out of this rock for you? And he strikes the rock twice. The water came out. The people drank. But when they went back to God, God said to him, because you did that, you will not in go into your promised land. Because you have not believed me. Because that rock in typology represented Jesus. And Jesus wasn't struck twice. He spoiled a typology of scripture. Because of the Hittite spirit that took over. And the Hittite spirit knows just when to take over. Now, you know, your pastor can stand up here and say, you know, and he's fed up with you and say, I'm fed up with your bunch and you're a bunch of hooligans and I don't care what happens to you and stomp out of you. Everybody, woo. And next week he can come back and say, oh, guys, I'm sorry I lost it. Now, I trust you'll be able to forgive him for that, providing he continues to come for mentoring. And <laughs> <laughs> but there will be damage that will have been done that will not be repaired. A Hittite spirit can stop you from getting into your promised land. You've got to deal with it. So there are things we've got to deal with. So, okay, I've preached and I will conclude now. And I want to challenge you this morning, just before the Lord, to sit and to just ask the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything that you are challenging me with now that I need to deal with to be able to be more free and open? For your spirit to move through me. I'm sure you're longing to see miracles. Amen? Not just for people coming to special healing meeting. What about you praying for somebody in pick and pay? You see they're not looking well. Say, excuse me, sir. Can I pray for you? I see you're not looking well. I believe God. Can I pray for you? Yes, please pray for him. And he suddenly, wow, I'm healed. Whoa, this is a miracle. Imagine that guy going home. He's going to say to his family, you don't come you're not going to believe what happened here. I was in big and bad. This guy came and prayed for me. Rather than saying, I went to church and they prayed for me. You know, God can use you in the most unexpected way, in the most unexpected time. But you need to be yielded to it. So if you feel that God has spoken something to you, I'm not going to call you forward. But just in acknowledgement before the Lord, I would like you to stand where you are. If you feel God, and don't just stand for the sake of standing and you just feel there's something that God is challenging you with and you just realize it's hindering you a bit from really becoming what God wants you to be and you're saying Lord I want to surrender that I'm going to make a decision this morning I'm going to make a choice this morning I'm not going to walk with this thing anymore. I'm going to abandon this thing this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Just stir up the hearts of your people right now. I pray that you will speak into each life. 
into each heart. Because, Lord, you know us. You know where we are now. But you also know what you've got in store for us. And, Lord, if there's something standing in the way that will stop us or try to stop us from becoming who you want us to be, show us what that thing is right now. Show us, Lord, and help us to make that choice, that decision, that we are going to get rid of that thing out of our lives. I want you to just where you are, just bring that thing before the Lord. He says, if you confess your sins and saying, Lord, I confess that there's a thing in my life that is an obstacle, I believe. And I don't want this obstacle anymore. Just acknowledge it. Take ownership of it. Don't blame it on anybody else. Say, Lord, I'm standing here and this thing is in my life. And then will you repent before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry where I've allowed this thing to come into my life. And I ask you to forgive me. Maybe it's some bad decisions you made. Maybe it was just something that provoked you and whatever. Just lay it before the Lord now and say, Lord, I ask that you'll wash me in your blood this morning, that you'll wash this thing out of my life in Jesus' name. Because Jesus paid for that thing already. He's already paid for it. So it doesn't have to stay in your life anymore. And if you're going to repent, then that thing's got to go. And so, Lord, just forgive, forgive, forgive. And now we just come against the power of those things over these people's lives right now. And we say to you, and especially where demonic control is involved as well, we say to you, uh, this problem, we take dominion over you in the name of Jesus Christ right now. We break your power over this person's life because we show you the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that was shed to redeem us from destruction. The blood of Jesus that washes and cleanses us from sin. And therefore you will bow before Jesus Christ and you will go. We command you to get out of our lives right now. We reject you right now in the name of Jesus. Reject that thing. You've got the authority. I can't do it in your life. You need to do it. Say, I reject this thing right now in Jesus' name. And I'm trusting in the blood of Jesus to cleanse me, to cleanse me, to cleanse me, to make me free. Hallelujah. Lord, I ask that miracles are going to take place here. I ask, Lord, that your people are going to experience breakthroughs, that this is going to be a watershed meeting this morning for some people here. And Lord, I speak new fruitfulness into those areas of their life. And say, come Holy Spirit. Will you also just in your own heart say, come Holy Spirit and occupy the place that this thing used to occupy. Just come and move in, Holy Spirit. Just come and move in and glorify Jesus in this part of my life now. This part of my life I'm bringing under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Lord, so come in and just fill your people afresh. Just fill those, li- those parts of their lives right now in Jesus' name. And I speak blessing and fruitfulness over you. And say from this day and forward, because of that transaction that's happened, there's going to be an increased fruitfulness in your life. But I want you to expect it. Don't just leave here and say, well, we just see if it happens, it happens. No, you need to go out here with your scanner working. Your radar has got to be on, man. And you're going to say, okay, Lord, where's my opportunity to bring the presence of the Lord, the fragrance of Jesus into somebody's life? that I'm going to just speak a word of encouragement or I'm going to speak a word of healing over them or or whatever the Lord lays upon your heart there or you're going to lead them to the Lord. Just say, Lord, open my eyes to see the opportunity because a lot of people, the opportunity is under their nose and they don't see it. If you want to stop, step into miracles, you've got to stick your neck out, people. You've got to step over the line and say, Lord, I'm going to make myself vulnerable here because I'm trusting you. And I want to tell you, you're going to start seeing miracles. And if it doesn't happen the first time you do that, don't stop. You're practicing, you're exercising until you see what God has got for you. And so, Lord, I speak blessing over this whole congregation, the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it in Jesus' name. And I speak fruitfulness. I speak multiplication over this congregation. Lord, that this community is going to reel under the impact of the presence of God that's going to radiate from this place and affect every house, every business, every institution around this place. 
in Jesus' name. Thank you for your love, Lord. Amen and amen.